This is Renegade's Roundup. Your best source for recaps, info, and discussions about the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Zach. What's up, Hellraisers? We have got a heck of a show in store for you this week, including some injury updates that we are unfortunately going to have to report about this team. Not something that we're proud to talk about, but something that needs talking about. And if we want to talk about something that is sick or injured, we're probably going to end up talking about the offense as well. Welcome to another edition of Renegades Roundup. My name is Zach, and joining me to talk about this 10-9 victory against the Orlando Guardians, plus some news from around the league, and a preview of next week's game, back for more fun again, it's Joe Scanlon. Joe, a lot of people are saying post-game that a win is a win, but a 10-9 win feels like a, a very halfway victory that could almost be seen as a moral victory in a lot of ways. If I want to watch Big Ten football, Zach, I'll watch Big Ten football. This is not supposed to be Big Ten football. They have rules in place for points for a reason, and golly, the Renegades are just struggling at scoring points. Luckily, they're not struggling as much as the Orlando Guardians. So, you know, a good win and a good uh, drive at the end there by Sloter to bring the victory, but 10-9, like, woof, man, come on. Definitely not the strongest point that we've got. However, our defense has been playing really, really solid. Incredible. The, Incredible. The, this defense is, is probably the best in the league, but it is going to be without one of its best players moving forward. And that's going to be one of the big things that we talk about in this first segment of the show. Rev up your engines, Renegades fans. It's time for cylinder number one. So we usually take a look at some of the stuff that happened around the league, but I think one of the biggest league news updates is something that actually pertains to Arlington, so we'll just start with that right out the gate. It was confirmed on social media after the injury report list said that he had been moved to injured reserve, star cornerback Josh Hawkins. Number 28, Hawk Island, played for us in 2020 as well. A torn ACL making a play in the fourth quarter, which is just a gut punch to this defense because he was the only member of the entire XFL secondary that was getting a grade of 90 or above, and now he's lost for the season. And the sad part is I knew exactly what it was as soon as he went down because they showed the replay, and I said, that's a, that's an ACL. That's an ACL right there, and I really I was hoping I was wrong. But I was not, so to lose Hawk is devastating. He's by far one of the best defenders in the league. And, man, they're going to miss that in the secondary. What's really interesting is he was not just a great player, but also a leader in the locker room. Right. And, and and I'm curious, we, we'd mentioned previously that this was a team that had a lot of veteran presence. And I'm really curious now to see who's going to be the person that steps up, not just as a lockdown defensive back, but as somebody that's going to help lead this locker room. He's going to be focusing on rehab. He's going to be on the sidelines probably, but... As far as the the involvement that he's going to have in the day-to-day, 
who knows what kind of a void is going to need filling in that locker room. He's got just such a commanding presence and he's always expressing on social media how grateful he is for another day, for another opportunity. And then that opportunity gets snuffed out and it just sucks. That's the, that's the worst part. He seems like a really good guy. And yeah. you hate to see things like this happen to good people. And you know, hopefully he comes back you know, good as new next year. XFL's still around. There's no COVID this time. And he can come back and uh, once again dominate the secondary for the Renegades. Yeah, obviously we wish him the best and wish him a speedy recovery. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next because with this recent trade that they made, uh, we've got another skill position player on offense, but I think there's still like a roster spot or two given the recent injuries and, and releasing of players. I may have to take a look at it again, but... Uh, I think there's still some room to try to add somebody, and I don't know if we're going to go the free agent route or if we're going to go the trade route because we uh, we just traded for Javante Payton, who's a wide receiver, sending out Alex Ellis to uh, D.C., I believe. And so trades are very much a part of the league right now based on injuries, I believe I saw another trade that happened in DC's favor. They gave them a member of the secondary because they were getting a little shorthanded, a little thin in that area. So um, what do you think, Joe? Are they going to go the free agent route or are they going to go more of the um, trade route? That's hard to tell. I think the secondary, even with Hawkins out, I think the secondary is still doing pretty good. Where I'm concerned at this point is why do we need all these wide receivers? Why does this feel like a Tom Herman-led team right now with all white receivers, receivers, <laughs> receivers, receivers, and then there's no offensive line? And we can talk about that in the next cylinder. But I, I just it's 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 interesting to see where they can go with the free agency and with the trades. I don't know if they'll trade for a secondary member, but. I, I could see them. I don't know who you'd give up, honestly. Who would you give up for a top cornerback? Uh, well, where where are we the deepest right now? Um, I, receiver. I, I, would, I would say receiver, but we just traded for a receiver. Um, also, uh, something we can probably bring up in the next cylinder, it was kind of a surprise to see um, Kenneth Farrow get added to the roster. Yeah, that was cool. I, I was excited to see him like jump right in. His his number wasn't even on the media roster. Like all of the printouts for the media members at the game on Sunday, his number wasn't even registered on the roster. So he was literally a last second addition. And if we had if we had kept the the running back roster intact, I would have said that we had some depth at running back, but we let somebody go, I believe. So we we've got the same number of running backs, and I don't think they want to give up um anybody on the D line or anything like that. So unless we're going like, Oh geez, man, special teams. We're pretty deep in special teams, but yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to give up Marquette King. Cause he helped us with field position in this ball game against Orlando. So like th- this roster is kind of inflexible right now, but they did just send away, like I said, Alex Ellis. We probably were probably three or four deep at tight end. So yeah, I'm not say tight ends pretty deep. So, I'm not surprised to see him uh, end up on the trade block, but now I don't know what we would do next. So I'm thinking it'll be a free agent. 
but I don't know who yet. Speaking of free agents, one of the last things we're going to talk about before we move on, uh, what about the free agent signing that Orlando did right after that ball game, man? We've got former Tampa Bay Viper Quentin Flowers rejoining the XFL. That was a, a pretty cool announcement. Well, it makes sense. Have you seen Paxton Lynch play football? I saw him on Sunday in person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like it, it is really, you know, I hate to hate uh, football players because they can do things I can't do, but how was that man a first-round draft pick? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I feel like that question has been brought up by a lot of people recently, but I, I think it's cool for the community. I think, I think Florida uh, remembers him fondly from his South Florida days. And I think they remember him fondly from his Tampa Bay days. So I think this is a good fit for the community that they have somebody that they can latch onto and cheer for. So I think, I think that's a good move. Finally, the, the last thing that we want to touch on before we take a look at this 10 to nine game against Orlando, um, I had already changed the channel and then people started texting me afterwards asking me, did you see what happened on the field between DC and St. Louis? Did you see it? And I was like, no, I I, I switched the channels because I wanted to keep up with the Renegades. So apparently there was a lot of pushing and shoving, and I, I don't even know what all that happened. Basically, t- t- benches cleared. It was, it was a benches clearing brawl between a couple of undefeateds, and only one undefeated remained at the end of that game. And there were players and coaches that faced fines and or suspensions after all that. Russ Brandon released a statement uh, outlining all of the players involved that are going to be missing anywhere from one to two games now. And then there were several players and a couple of coaches on each team that faced financial discipline because of whatever transpired at Audi Field on Sunday. And the, the really the only thing I want to say about that is this. The XFL has been marketing itself as a league of opportunity, and you don't want to squander that opportunity because your pride got in the way. And I feel like that's what happened on both sides, is they they just got too prideful, they got too stuck up, somebody said something that rubbed somebody else the wrong way, and people lost their composure. And that's not something you want to see at any level, but especially in a league where people are are trying to gain respect that will earn them a spot in the NFL. There's a lot of respect lost for these players and coaches that were involved in this altercation now. That being said, who wouldn't want to see two players duking it out on the football field, drop the helmets and go at it like hockey? I mean, put XFL penalty box? I mean, I guess it's okay it's- in hockey. I guess, it de- okay I, guess it, I guess it depends on how extreme we want to make the XFL, because back in 2001, the XFL stood for Extreme Football League, but I think The Rock has been kind of pitching the X to be more like an intersection, yeah. rather rather than have it represent like the word extreme. So, I, I don't know. I, I like people who who get really emotionally involved in what they do obviously we're very emotionally connected to this team and to sports in general like emotions run high in sports and i get that i understand that but i feel like you need to let your talents and your abilities 
do the do the talking for you rather than your fists. And so, of course, and you're right. You you need to show up on the field. You can't just be throwing hands all the time. But at the same time, a ten nine game wouldn't it have been more interesting if there were some like fights in there. And then much, they go to the penalty box for five minutes. <laughs> pretty much anything would have been more interesting than having three points scored apiece going into the fourth quarter. Like that, that was the thing that really confused me and rubbed me the wrong way. So unless you've got any final thoughts on the events that transpired in D.C., we'll go ahead and move on. Yeah, D.C.'s undefeated, Houston's undefeated. Uh, Renegades in second place, 2-1. and one. Brahmas are 1-2, and two and Orlando has not won a game. So South looking like it's Houston's to lose at this point. It very well could be, and the way the playoff configuration works, Houston's going to have to beat somebody from the South three times in a row, which is a very, very difficult thing to do. Birmingham was able to do it against New Orleans in the USFL last year, but all three of those games were really tightly contested, and I feel like whether it's Arlington or San Antonio, um, yeah, the the division is going to run through TDECU Stadium, but it's not going to be an easy road because you have to you have to win at least two out of the three, or possibly win all three games against somebody in order to move on to the championship. And that's going to be a tough, tough challenge for Houston. Indeed. Well, like we said, Renegades win on Sunday. So let's why don't we get into those stats? By all means, time to rev them up again, folks. It is time for cylinder. Number two. Last week's game, a final score of 10 to 9. As you mentioned, Joe, Renegades are now 2 and 1. Orlando is sent to 0 and 3, and they host Houston next week. They stand a very good chance of falling to 0 and 4 to start the year. They very well could be seen as the bottom feeders of this league, and. I, I, I hate saying it so disparagingly because it was such a tightly contested ball game on Sunday. And uh, it, it's 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 kind of tough to see it, but it's also like a really good thing for Renegades fans to see because even when the offense is sputtering, the defense helped them win this game. They won the turnover battle two to nothing. They stopped the extra point conversion that gave them just the nine points instead of ten. And there were a couple of key stops in the fourth quarter that kept them on the minus side of the 50 and kept points off of the board. And so it was really the defense that ended up saving Arlington's neck in this one, I feel like. Well, that's been the kind of just the mantra all year, defense, defense, defense. And defense is great and all defense wins championships, but at the same time we need the offense to kind of, you know, wake up a little bit and you can't just keep relying on the defense to play out of their damn minds. And, you know, that that's that's asking a lot for a defense. And so far they've stepped up to the challenge. But, how, I mean, how often can you, you know, sit there as a defense and go, yeah, we're stopping them, we're stopping them, and then three plays later you're back out on the field. You're going to get tired, man. It's a long season. So, right now, it's great to see the defense doing what they're doing. At the same time, we definitely need to get the offense going. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second here. But we were, we were talking about defensive plays. If you look at the possessions of the second half, the stats that are provided by XFL.com, uh, Arlington had two 
possessions in the third quarter, both of them punts. Orlando had just one possession that was also a punt. The first drives for each team in the in the fourth quarter, an 11-play, 73-yard touchdown drive for Orlando, and then Arlington answers right back, 12 plays, 74 yards themselves, a touchdown, and the conversion. Punt, punt, downs. The final three possessions of the ball game. It really came down to how things played out in that fourth quarter, and if Arlington doesn't get their conversion attempt by Smith, then we could have been looking at a game that went to overtime. So Ooh, yeah. it's it it's fascinating to look at the statistics as they are, just the stats. If the defense doesn't make the stop on Orlando's touchdown conversion and Smith doesn't get the run on our one point conversion, then this is this is a totally different ball game we're discussing here. So this league, I feel like, is oftentimes a league of inches. Sometimes you miss an interception by a matter of inches over your outstretched arms. Sometimes it's a matter of who got the one-point conversion and who didn't. And in that sense, yes, I'm I'm a Big 12 lover, much like yourself. I, I love high-scoring affairs. But the nuance that shows up in the statistics, particularly in the fourth quarter shows Arlington's ability to pull one out even when the going is getting tough. And I think that's what impressed me the most about this team this week. Well, when the tough when the going gets tough, the tough get going, in the words of Bluto from Animal House, which I watched <laughs> the other day. So, uh, yeah, it, it was just – it's a gritty win. It's a gritty win, plain and yep. simple. And – if that's how we're going to play this season, then saddle up, folks. Take your heart attack medicine because we're going to have a lot of those if it's going to be gritty like this all year. But, you know, to have that defense that can step up and make those stops is uh, a luxury few can afford here in the XFL. Right. And so right, I, I'm blessed to say that we do have that defense. A couple more statistics that I'm looking at here on the, on the game recap. We ended up with four first downs off of penalties Mm. we got four first downs off of penalties and we only committed i want to say two penalties yeah we were flagged twice in this game and took the ball from them twice so not only are we winning the turnover battle in this game but we also won the penalty game committing fewer and getting more first downs off of penalties so Sometimes in a game that is decided by one point, it comes down to fundamentals. And in this game, it looks like Arlington just had some more sound fundamentals in spite of the fact that they had eight fewer plays and were outgained by nearly 100 yards, 271 to 178. Yeah, I about to say, you look at the stats and they have the little colors. That's a lot of green. Uh, for the for the guardians and for it is. and that, that that literally just shows you turnovers matter. Oh yeah. Big stops matter because without that, without those scenarios, the Renegades don't win this game. And so again, you know, that uh, kudos to the defense and offense wake up. Yeah, I mean, even though Paxson Lynch threw for 219 yards 
the defense got to him four times. Yeah. They got four sacks for negative 28 yards. And then you take a look at the other side of the ball. Sloter was a pretty efficient 18 for 23, got a passing touchdown, had a long of 17, didn't air it out super far. But he moved the offense when he needed to, particularly on that fourth quarter drive. And here's one of the other stats that I found really interesting. This is something that has been a a, a problem in the two previous games. I believe this is the fewest number of sacks given up in this young season. Two sacks for 10 yards lost. Sure, we only rushed for a total of 64 yards, which is probably one of the lowest rushing outputs we've had all year. But the fact that we weren't sent backwards continually is somewhat encouraging, but I feel like the O-line still has some work to do. We are a Renegades podcast. We're going to be partial to the Renegades and tout their positives, but you know what? I am the kind of fan, and Zach, you know this from my Longhorn fandom, I will call you out when you stink, and right now the offensive line stinks. That's bad. They cannot run the ball whatsoever, and that's put pressure on Sloter, on Plitt. There is no balanced attack, and without that, teams are going to, you know, crack down on the pass and that's why you know Sloter efficient yes 18 of 23 a lot of those were check downs and and screens because you know what what are you going to do when you can't run the ball you're going to have to try to run I'm putting in quotes here run the ball a little screen kind of like a handoff if we're being honest and the offensive I don't know what's going on with the offensive line because we touted them so heavily before the season with the a, a couple all USFL players on there and I don't know if it's just trying to gel get together because that's important you do need an offensive line that gels and gets together get along yep. but yep. it's 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 frustrating at this point because you have Davion Smith and now Kenneth Farrow back two of the leading rushers from the XFL in 2020 and they're looking like they can't do any they're looking like an FCS team against Alabama it's ridiculous <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of of that particular comparison, but I, I, I well hard... I'm sorry, 18 carries for 49 yards. Come on, man. No, I mean it, it, it's tough because I have a hard time disputing it. Like yeah. I I don't I I don't disagree with it, but I also don't like that that's the comparison that's being made. Yeah, I I don't like that that's the situation that the the O line and the running game finds itself in because we were really excited to have Smith on the roster. Uh-huh. We we really enjoyed talking about Pharaoh because he he lit it up for the Dragons in 2020 and the year before that he was playing down south for the San Antonio for the Alliance and so that these these are players that need opportunities to showcase their talent but you know uh, the the week one prediction that I made about Smith rushing for 100 yards to help carry Plitt if he had some inconsistencies that is probably one of the most freezing cold takes I've had of the whole season because the entire rushing unit hasn't even eclipsed 100 yards together right in the first three games we're getting to like maybe 80 combined rushing yards from three or four different rushers and and this week it was like what 64 I think it said like I don't think there's any way in heck right now that we're going to actually see a 100-yard performance from any of our running backs this season. And if the O-line can't protect Sloter, can't protect Plitt the way they need to, I feel like they did a 
somewhat better job this week, only two sacks given up. Maybe that's the O-line improving. Maybe that's Sloter being a little more mobile and, and getting completions down the field, even if they're checkdowns. I don't know what the answer to that is. But I feel like if it doesn't show signs of improvement, then the offense is going to become too one-dimensional and people are going to understand the ways to get to Arlington and it'll it'll slow us down even more and it'll lead to losses in games that we should be winning. Yep, I agree. I'm hoping I'm hoping that this game is a wake up call. I I, um, I I think I could I kind of felt like it was a wake up call. And I think, you know, it's Sloter's first game, so don't you know, if you're gonna talk crap about him, don't because eighteen and twenty three for hundred and twenty four and a touchdown, no turnovers. That's pretty good for your first game back and who knows how long, so you know, I think if he continues what he's doing, I think I think from that standpoint, it's going to be okay. But the offensive line, like I said, the guy get it together. Well, still, still some, still some work left to be done. And if there's a possibility of, you know, shaking up the the positions of the linemen, have like somebody at one yeah. end of tackle that could, that could go to go to another spot. Like I don't think you need to necessarily change personnel. But maybe you just need to change assignments, have them working on a different part of the O-line so that maybe that is playing more to their strengths or something. I'm, I'm not sure. But we, we've mentioned this before. Coach Heimbach played in the XFL in 01. He was Smith's O-line coach in Tampa Bay back in 2020. And uh, now he's the O-line coach here. He's got a wealth of experience at the XFL level. And I, I want to believe that the reason we saw fewer sacks in this ball game is because there is improvement in the O-line. I, 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 I agree. I think there is improvement in the O-line because that is a lot better uh, adjustment to go from four sacks a game to two sacks a game. So I think there is improvement. There just needs to, you know, they've got to keep going. And now that they've right. fixed the sack issue, hopefully – We'll see this week. They need to start opening up polls for Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the next step in the progression is you've worked on protecting your quarterback. Now let's work on creating holes for the running backs. I feel like that should be the next step in the game plan strategy. All right. Well, any other thoughts on this past week's game against Orlando before we move along, Joe? A win's a win. Uh, a win is a win, and it puts us in second place in the South Division for now. But we've got a pretty tall task uh, in this upcoming week's game, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But before we do, we want to talk about our player of the game as we get revved up for cylinder number three. Joe, we, we, we went back and forth uh, several times throughout the course of this week before finally deciding on who we were going to talk about we've already talked about Sloter, even though he got his first start this past week so we're not going to be repetitive on that but um there wasn't really a whole lot else on the offense to highlight you know the, the aside from the one touchdown there really wasn't a whole lot of productivity on offense so right. the logical step was to talk about somebody on defense but who would it be we don't really have many opportunities to talk about Hawkins now that he's out for the season, which sucks. But there were some other fellas that stepped up to the plate 
in this past week's game. Uh, one of them was Payne, and we may get to him uh, at another point later on this season, just judging by how uh, exciting he is to watch and how athletic he is. I feel like he'll end up with a pick six at some point this season. But uh, this week's player of the game, our player profile, is none other than the safety that's going to have to lock down the secondary with Hawkins out for the season. Uh, I feel like there's going to be a lot more responsibility for this guy as a leader and as an athlete, and that is Will Hill. Yeah, he dominated this past week. Ten total sack uh, sackles. Wow, what's a sackle? <laughs> sackles. Ten. T- it's Ten. like it's it's like it's like QT. Is it a is it a snack? Is it a meal? It's a <laughs> snackle. <laughs> I apologize. I'm tired. Uh, he had ten tackles, seven solo, three assisted, and he had half a sack. So, yeah, and he led the team with the total tackles. This is why Will Hill is our player of the week, and. You know, he was flying around the secondary, making plays, and that's what you—that's what a safety needs to do. They got to be flying around. They got to flock to the ball, and they got to lock down the passing game. And I don't think, uh, if my recollection fails me, which I don't think it will, I don't think he'd let any really big play get by him, any big passes. No, I, I don't believe he did. But it, it's it's also really cool to see that um, our defense is is taking the risks to send a safety in on a blitz for a safety to get credited with a half sack means that you are putting pressure on the quarterback through multiple means. You're not just sending an extra backer. You're not just sending, um, you know, a corner. You're bringing in somebody from the very, very back of your defense to come after the quarterback. And granted it was Paxton Lynch, but, (laughs) but, I, I like the aggressive nature of what the stats show. To have a half sack to Will Hill, to have a half sack for Sankey, um, for Clark to get a sack. There was a half for Rotimi and a half for Coatney. Um, and then a, a full sack for, for Taylor. As we mentioned, four total sacks for 28 yards lost. And for Will Hill to be a part of that... Um, it's just a testament to the lockdown nature of this defense and how it's defense by committee of the 33 solo tackles that are credited on the team website, 53 total as a unit. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, like 18 or 19 different players that are getting credited with either uh, solo tackles or assists. And, that is just a testament to the depth that this defensive unit has. Yeah. That even when you're subbing in your second level, your third level, um, there there are some really, really fast-moving guys out there that are contributing to this defensive effort. And they're led by Will Hill, who has been a bit of a journeyman in places like this, the CFL and even had some experience in the NFLs, which you told me off the air, right? Yeah, NFL. he played for the Giants from 2012-2013, then the Ravens from 2014-2015. to 2015. I mean, he ended up with 221 tackles, one sack, three forced fumbles, two recoveries, four interceptions, and three touchdowns in the NFL. That's pretty good. That's not That's bad. Pretty- That's not a bad career. <laughs> and so it's interesting to see how he ended up in the CFL and then the AAF with the Orlando Apollos in 2019. The undefeated Orlando Apollos. The undefeated Orlando Apollos, led by Garrett Gilbert. Oh, my God. 
Okay. Uh, so <laughs> then he goes to the Battle Hawks in 2020. And, of course, then, you know, Lee shuts down. And now he's back in the XFL, the Renegades. Man, did you know, and I knew the name sounded familiar. I'm pretty sure, and I remember him on the University of Florida team in 2008. That That's that's that Tebow's team, isn't Te- it? Tebow's the team led by a preacher with a with a murderer, two drug dealers, <laughs> and Cam Newton before he transferred to Auburn. Yes, that team. That team. Wow. Yeah, I'm I, still waiting I, for the thought, thirty for thirty. <laughs> I I thought that the that the name was familiar, but I didn't want to speculate and then have to make a retraction. But th- this guy is just an athlete. You know, I, I feel like if he wanted to be, he could be a bruiser of a running back. He's a very physical player. And he just happens to have the the smarts and awareness to play a very reactive position like safety. You have to go where the ball is. You have to go where the player is. Like if you've got a receiver coming into your area and you feel like the the throw is going to go his direction, you've got to be responsible for it. And... I think just as a testament to what kind of an athlete he is, he is doing this past the age of 30, right? Isn't he like 30 or 31? He's 33. 33. And he's able to to lock down the secondary. Happy birthday, Will Hill. He turns 33 today. We're we're recording this on March 7th. Yeah. On the day we're recording. Wow. We didn't even plan that. No, we did not. <laughs> happy, happy birthday, Will. You are our player of the week. <laughs> and rightfully so. And like we mentioned, with Hawkins out for the season, there's probably going to be a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more defensive shifting involved where Hill may have to slide into a corner position or he may have to uh, help out in the nickel or the dime and kind of slide a little bit lower than he usually does in the safety spot just to try to help cover some stuff that's a little further up, closer to the line. Um, but as a whole, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do for the entirety of the season. I was looking forward to what Hawkins could do for the duration of the season. Um, again, we wish him all the best in the world. But happy birthday and uh, looking forward to seeing what you can do, Will Hill. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at how things are going to shape up for Arlington with Will Hill anchoring the defense as they head to the Dome for the very first game played in St. Louis in 2023. It's time for the fourth and final Cylinder of the Week. Joe, this is a pretty big game for a lot of reasons both teams two and one both teams second place in their division both teams with a lot to play for and st louis has been hyping up this home game literally for weeks possibly even months and the fans the fans are getting ready to pack this dome the first two or three levels have already been sold out and they're opening up stuff that is closer to the very upper deck. There's a fourth level, there's a 400 level that they haven't opened up yet. But I would say that more than half of the capacity of this stadium has been sold already in anticipation of this game. 
they're expecting over 30,000 people, probably by my estimates with walk-ups and the hype leading up to the game, we'll probably see somewhere in the 33 to 35,000 region for this game, which will be the most of the entire season so far. And I mean, that's because, remember 2020, St. Louis showed out for their football team because they the did. Rams got stolen from them and sent to L.A. So they did. These I don't have a good feeling about the game for the Renegades because that is going to be a fan, uh, not fan base. That's going to be a, a home field advantage that they have not seen before. Yeah, because that's. I don't we there hasn't been uh what was it twelve thousand total at the last game for the Renegades? The for for the game at Choctaw or are you yeah, talking about the Choctaw. last road game? The game at Choctaw was listed as like twelve thousand and six. And then on and then Sunday. Houston. Houston was below thirteen. It was like twelve four, twelve five, something like that. Yeah, so going from twelve five to thirty plus, yeah. This is yeah. Good. it's gonna be loud. It's a dome, it's gonna be loud. Oh and yeah. And I hope they got the speakers going full of crowd noise at practice this week because they're they're gonna need it. They're gonna need all the help they can get. And it's a winnable game. The Battle Hawks are two and one. They're probably one of the better two and one teams in the in the league. Um yeah. The problem, well, uh, uh, no, I'm not going to say that. The, the, I was going to say, you know, they've had to have a couple comebacks in order to be 2-1. and one, But yeah. that just shows the grit they have as well. So it's going to be, yeah. I have a feeling this is going to be a very gritty game. And for people who need to have a big game, offensive line has to have a big They have to have a big game. Mm-hmm. Sloter has to have a big game. The running game has to be on point. And the defense, if the defense just keeps doing what they're doing, the Renegades will come out of this with a victory. I think it's very plausible, but looking back at how the the stats shake up for St. Louis after that D.C. game, they're riding on the back of A.J. McCarron. Because if we thought our rushing attack was bad, they are not doing much better. They had 17 carries for 56 yards and no rushing touchdowns in that game against D.C., McCarron had to air it out for 262 yards and four touchdown passes, but he got picked off twice, and I think one of those was a pick six. So he's not the most accurate passer. He was 26 of 42. He did enough to move the ball. He did enough to make the game interesting. He did enough to bring them back within one possession and try to do that fourth and 15 stuff that they did against the Brahmas, like... He got them really, really close. They were competitive with DC, which is why it got chippy towards the end of that ball game there. But I think DC solidified themselves as the class of the North with that game against St. Louis. And like you said, there may be a chip on their shoulder. They may be looking for something that they can do to to prove themselves. And it's going to be up to the defense to keep them from doing that. 64 plays for DC, 63 plays for St. Louis in that ball game. And I don't think our game came anywhere near that. 64 Orlando, 52 for Arlington. So I I think we need to minimize our punts. We need to be we need to be moving the ball and with no wind in that dome, let's set Russellino up for another long field goal attempt. I would be okay with field goals as long as we're not having punts and empty possessions. I think if we can be getting 
possessions that result in points, then we'll be in a good position by the second half. But we we've we've got to be putting the ball in, uh, points on the board, ball in the end zone, ball through the uprights. We can't be punting six, seven times a game on the road. I think this is the first time that they're going to have to fly unless they actually took like a 45-minute flight down to Houston last time, which I doubt. They probably bust down to Houston. So this is the first time that they are flying for a road game to go up to St. Louis. How does that affect their sleep schedule? How does that affect their game day preparation? I think there's a lot of factors for this road game that are going to come into effect. And you were talking about the O-line. This is probably going to be the first time they've had to practice with a silent count. The center tossing his fist out to let the O-line know the ball is being snapped. They're going to have to work on precision and timing so they don't get penalized for false starts in this ballgame. So there's, there's a lot of factors involved in this game, but I think if they have a good practice and they practice with the crowd noise like you said then, yeah, they've probably got a good chance. And A.J. McCarron's been one of the better quarterbacks in the league, so definitely shutting him down, which I like A.J. McCarron. I think it's awesome he took a pay cut so he could play and so his boys could watch him play instead of him just sitting in the NFL being a backup. Colt McCoy, ring, 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 ring. Would love to see you in the XFL, buddy. Oh, man, you deserve so much better. But, yeah, so it'll be be an interesting game. What do you think think how this game's going to go? Oh man, as far as score predictions go, uh we we keep we keep talking about the the different possibilities and I think we were a little bit more accurate with last week's predictions about it being low scoring, but I don't think either of us predicted it being no, 10 to 9. Nope. Neither of us thought it would be that low, but I think if the defense can lock down McCarron and pick him off a couple of times like DC did, then I, I think it could be something in the range of I'm gonna go twenty two seventeen Arlington. Mm. I'm, I I'm gonna gonna, I'm gonna I think it's gonna be another low scoring game. I think I, I I'm how low are we talking? I, I, I feel like that is pretty low by, by certain standards because the Battlehawks put up what was it, twenty eight in the last game? So to hold them to seventeen is is an improvement from their last week's performance. Yeah, I uh I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think the Renegades will come out on top, but it's going to be close. I'm thinking 14-12. Oh, we're going we're going that low, are we're we? We're going that low. We're going that low. Defense oh, is going to step up, hold them to field goal and a nine-point touchdown, and but the Renegades are going to come out on top, get two touchdowns with the extra points, call it a day. Well, I I hope we're right. I feel like if there's enough things that fall in the way of Arlington's defense and special teams, then that can help pick up the slack for the anemic offense. Russelino, I, I still feel like he's going to have uh, an impact on this game with no win conditions. If the score does turn out the way you're saying, 14-12, then there's going to be a lot of empty possessions, which means Marquette King is going to have to play field position as the punter. So... Um, I think if if it is going to be a low scoring affair like we're thinking, then it's gonna it's gonna come down to to special teams and turnovers. I think that'll be the story of the game this week. I agree. Oh man, we're looking forward to seeing how loud Battlehawk Nation is. It's an unfortunate draw for Arlington to be the first team to have to play there, but based on their performance defensively, we think they're up for the challenge. 
Looking forward to watching that game and watching the rest of the league this week. Joe, where can the folks at home keep up with you in between episodes of Renegades Roundup if they want to see you talking about the XFL or anything else? You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Scanlon TV. That is T like Tiger, V like Viper. So definitely, yeah, give me a follow and uh, we can interact. I always like talking to fans and talking XFL. As for me, I am on pretty much every social media platform at Zach the Voice, Z A C H the Voice, all one word Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Currently doing play by play broadcasting for the local high school baseball team in the area, but also posting a few pictures here and there from my time working behind the scenes at certain XFL related events. And then uh, there's some other really cool stuff going on just regarding life and regarding. Um, I don't want to, how do I want to put this? Certain YouTube ventures that I'm going on with a friend of mine. Mm. And so um, we're, we're going to be pretty busy. It's going to be a, a pretty busy spring season, and I'm looking forward to all of it. But I think that is going to do it for this episode of Renegades Roundup. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition. We hope that you'll be back again next week. For Joe, I'm Zach. Thanking you for being a part of this. We're looking forward to to talking about a potential Renegades victory next week. Crossing fingers. Hopefully it's not the announcer's jinx. But until then, folks. I know. I know. I do it so many times during my baseball games. So who knows? Maybe, Maybe it will be. Maybe I'm sending them good vibes. I don't know. But we'll know one way or another next week. And until then, everyone, a reminder. Raise some hell.